Welcome to The Panic Pod. This episode is entitled, What Recovery Looks Like. Talking of entitled, how are you doing, Ella? <laughs> doing very well today, Josh. It's always good to speak to you. It's always good to be a knock down a peg. Um, yeah, yeah. How's your day? How's your general vibe? What's been going on in that there Manchester? Uh, that there Manchester? Um, it's grim, grey, horrid. Yeah, it's lovely. I, I like Manchester. People start, need to start behaving, though. Because um, at the time of this recording, um, apparently there's, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of, there's, there's a nasty, nasty virus going around. Um, but I've just been inside, hiding away from the world. Um, not because I'm agoraphobic, but just because, yeah, I've just been hiding away and keeping busy and being sensible, really. Um, and so I hear that you are moving to the UK soon. Yes, in less than a week. I'm so excited. It, I Whenever we sit down to record this during this time, I feel so good because like this whole period of isolation has really like led me to believe more and more into the power of podcasts of like how nice it is. I listen to a lot of podcasts and just how nice it is to like have someone in your space and a voice that's like chatting to you and it's just like reassuring and it's really tough to like be isolated i think we're learning it's really really tough whether you're an introvert or an extrovert it really really gets to you but to have like something like this uh going on in the background i hope we can make people feel a little less lonely these days oh definitely definitely yeah and i've been listening to more podcasts as well recently um and audiobooks you know yeah. things that perhaps i wouldn't have done when i was mm-hmm. being a social butterfly before yeah. all these restrictions um yeah Today's episode is what recovery looks like. This is in response to several questions that we have received. Um, so I thought I'd do um, an episode on it. Uh, it was received on the Panic Pod Instagram page, <clears throat> which has grown to over seven thousand people. So thanks. You know, um, we're very we're very uh, happy with that. Um, uh, but also for emails as well, people have been emailing in at talk at thepanicroom.co.uk. And asking that, and, and this is just generally one that keeps coming up. Um, we get praise for talking about anxiety quite, uh, very well and how it resonates, but we were asked to do an episode on what recovery looks like, which is fair enough. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 a it's a tricky one and it's a challenge, and I'm willing to take it. I will answer mm-hmm. that question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think recover anxious recovery looks like, Ella? Yeah, well, when you mention this title i was trying to sort of think about what's the best way to discuss this to someone who when they're reaching out through like an email or instagram or something they're really in the throes of trying to visualize themselves in a healthier place which probably means that they're really in the midst of a lot of like chronic anxiety right now um and for me i tried to think about when we were bringing up this topic i tried to think about where was i when i was in my like really really bad throes of a lot of anxiety and what would have been useful to me back then um and it made me think about when i just came back to canada earlier this year on the first night i opened all of these like old diaries from when i was like 17 and really in the midst of a lot of like depression, anxiety kind of cycle and really stressed about um, my future and uh, 
coming out as queer and like a whole bunch of things. So um, it's, I was trying to think of like, what's to me, what's the crux of what I could say to someone who's like struggling with this. And it's like, um, just that when you see someone who has all of those traits that you aspire to have when you're in the midst of anxiety, someone who just seems really relaxed or for me, in my case, I know this won't be for everybody, like people who are just confident and relaxed in social situations, like not constantly overthinking every single interaction. I think it's just really important to like, I'm trying to say this without sounding cheesy. I'm trying to say this like really authentically that to have a hope that you can become the type of person that you see out there in the world and that that sort of recovery mm. is possible. I know that just sounds so vague and like we'll get into a lot more sort of more concrete That's things very to say important. about recovery. But yeah, you mm. just have to like visualize um, the the type of person that you could be. And I'll add a little asterisk to that because I think that that can be especially hard when you find yourself in a community where um, around you, you see just a lot of other struggle. And I just kind of want to add that to if you um, are of like a certain demographic or you find yourself in an occupation where like everyone's stressed and everyone's anxious like i think it can be even harder to visualize that recovery when you aren't seeing people that you can aspire to be and something that's actually tangible i'm not talking about like seeing someone on instagram or seeing someone in the media that you aspire to be, but actually like someone that you know so one thing that really helped me over time was when I did move to London, um, I got to be in an improv group with all of these women who were like from 18 to 45, 50. And they all had these really cool occupations and like were really like women in charge of their life and like what they were doing. And for me, that was an example of like having seen, like, I thought that if I like part of my depression or like just like where I was at was like, People told me, yeah, if you get any type of like arts degree in Calgary, you're just going to end up as like the receptionist to an oil company was sort of what I felt like mm. was my life and how it was seated at that point. And so when I talk about like visualizing that person and like that helps the recovery, like it helps to find people out there who are the person that you visualize for yourself. That's just the mm. only place that I have to start. And there is a lot more sort of concrete things that I'm sure we can mm. talk about with this. But recovery, I think it takes time to visualize what you want mm. yourself, what that, what you want that to look like for you, really. I don't know. What, what uh, absolutely. Do I think, yeah, absolutely. Visualize. Um, a lot of people with anxiety or disordered anxiety will often say to me, I want to feel like my old self or I want mm. to feel like a self who doesn't have anxiety. Um, and so what would really help there is if, you know, I'd invite them all visualize, like you've explained, what does that look like? What do you look like without anxiety? What do you look like without disordered anxiety? What does your life look like without that? And mm -hmm. recovery looks like when you can do that, you can access that life. You can almost enact that life. Minus all the avoidances and false comforts and everything else to the point where the anxious brain switches off. Because what maintains anxiety is 
number one, a misbelief that recovery means no more anxiety. Anxiety is a normal emotion. You can't get rid of anxiety like you can't get rid of fear. You can't get rid of hunger. You can't get rid of happiness. You can't get rid of irritation. You can't get rid of tiredness or lethargy. And you can't get rid of anxiety. But the biggest mistake people with anxiety or anxiety disorders make is that they're looking for the point where they no longer feel anxious. And then every time they do get anxious, they misinterpret that as a failure. I always say to people, what's your definition, you know, my definition of progress, you know, you're making progress. Mm -hmm. When I work with clients, it's progress isn't measured by you going two, three weeks without feeling anxious. You know, oh, I went seven, eight hours today without feeling anxious. I'm great. I'm happy for you because I know how uncomfortable anxiety can be. But that isn't progress. Mm -hmm. Progress is what you do in response to the anxiety when Mm -hmm. it arises. I'll just repeat that. Progress is what you do in response to anxiety when it arises. I couldn't Mm -hmm. care less if you went six months without anxiety and then suddenly you got anxious and started, you know, becoming really irate and terrified and searching for reassurance and withdrawing and avoiding, that means you've not been making progress. Progress is, progress leads to recovery. Recovery looks like when you have the confidence not to engage with anxiety or the anxious response when it arises. When your confidence is high enough to not engage with it, it occurs less and less to the point where hardly at all. And then we kind of forget about anxiety. That's recovery in a nutshell. It's when you have the confidence not to engage with it when it arises. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you've been years without a panic attack. If then suddenly you have an adrenaline rush and have a panic attack and start Googling and asking for research and seeking reassurance and going down that cycle, you've not made any progress. Um, progress is when you go, okay, I'm feeling a bit of anxious now. Okay, what do I need to do? Oh, yeah, I need the bravery and the confidence to not engage with this at the moment. You know, and when I don't engage with it, here's a, here's an opportunity for me to engage, to not, to, to practice not engaging with my anxiety. You do that enough, mm-hmm. you reach recovery, but it's all about how you measure progress. You know, I get that a lot. Dear Josh, I'm doing really well, but recently, I've been really anxious and I can't stop thinking about how I feel. And then I say, well, what's really well then? You know, being anxious is not failure. Being anxious is fine. There's nothing wrong with you. What are Mm -hmm. you doing in response to that anxiety? Oh, I'm making it the center of my life and trying to fix and cure myself. Yeah. Then then you're not on your way to recovery. You know, Mm -hmm. does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say that, like I'm thinking about my own experience and I totally had that same, um, response to feeling anxious of like oh it's this again like i failed like i haven't got over this i haven't moved past this and it's mm. it's so uh but it makes sense when you're explaining it because when you took it from the other perspective it's like the emotions we have aren't metrics for our recovery and how they're doing oh, oh emotions, i like that yeah like What's that? what was it? Emo- say that what emotions are yeah the emotions we have aren't the metrics for our recovery that when oh. uh, but I think what, what you can get really caught in 
is that, um, yeah. So for when you said that, I can totally relate to the feeling that you get. It's so just I a was, feeling. I, I was writing that down. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> keeping, I'm keeping that as my own. That's going to be an Instagram post in a bit. Um, no, just, yeah. just at, a, at a posh party. But like, oh, did, you, did you know that emotions aren't the metrics for our recovery? Oh, wow. What a, what a, what an insightful, uh, comment there. Well, yes, I'm, I'm oh, full of Oh, weird fun. stroke. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, brilliant. But, um, this was also really nicely illustrated when I got to interview Meg Van Dusen a few episodes ago. Um, she wrote a book on stress and she, we talked a lot about like social media and how the metrics for like how well you're doing in life. We all know in our like wise mind that they're so skewed by social media, but that doesn't really help in your like day to day when you're thinking about your own recovery. And so like you and your own self will believe that your emotions are these metrics for your recovery, that when you feel anxious again, that somehow you've like gone backwards for this like work that's been done or even if that also means like you've fallen into a vice that then like spurs on your anxiety again, like you, you sort of fall into like a bad eating habit or you lose an exercise habit and then it comes up again. It's like, Oh, this is a failure. Oh no. But it's like, but what Meg Van Dusen tries to point out is like disregarding how we compare ourselves to others. And actually, if you just set these very, very small, small, small benchmarks along what you want from your recovery, that's what, the visualizing your recovery helps with because similar to how we talked about um, an exposure ladder back a few episodes ago, when we were talking about if you, um, if you want to sort of incrementally go towards facing your fear, you put your fear at the top of this ladder and work your way back of what are the smaller steps that will still be something that, that challenges yourself and pushes yourself towards getting to that recovery. I think it's really similar when you visualize yourself as someone who's recovered and you work your way back of like, what did the small increments towards that look like and make the smallest, smallest one, something that you're going to do this month to be like an actually achievable um, step towards recovery. Because like you say, like emotions aren't the metric for that. Like the, the metric is what have you been able to do to, I think I, mm. I liked your quote when you first sort of summarized it as um, that it's what you do in response to your anxiety. I think also you could say what you do despite your anxiety. So when you feel that emotion, mm. just emotion, mm. can you still follow through with whatever that is that's challenging you? In my case, it was going to a social commitment, like, you know, going to a gathering or talking to someone that I was like still feeling like a little intimidated by or whatever it might've been, whatever your, whichever way your anxiety kind of manifests going towards that thing, knowing that your body's going to go through an anxious response and doing it despite that anxious response. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy on the other side of that, every time it surprises. Uh, absolutely. Like, can you still, can you still follow through despite all the all the all these horrible these uncomfortable symptoms um and i think that's i mean that's such a good example and i think it's really helpful to break it down even further you know the confidence not to engage with the three branches of anxiety too it's not just you know obviously you've got to go through and 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 and, and push not push through it's the wrong word but you know continue endeavor to do what you'd have done if you weren't anxious 
But look at the three branches of anxiety. Can I do this despite branch number one, this feeling, this feeling of dread, terror, fear, threat, something bad's going to happen? Can I continue to do this despite number branch number two, uh, these thoughts? What if this? What if that? What if that's going to happen? What if that horrible thing's going to happen? What if that's going to happen? And can I do this despite branch number three, this physical sensation, the heart pounding, the derealization, the, the tension, the, the nausea, the, the, the IBS stuff? Can, can I still do all these things despite all these facets of anxiety triggering? Then if you, if your answer is yes, then that is what, well, you're aiming towards recovery. You know, mm-hmm. that you're taking one giant leap towards recovery. True recovery is when you, you don't even feel the need to check. You've completely forgotten about your anxiety because you've practiced doing this so much that the anxious response switches off. The amygdala in the brain does not perceive that anxiety itself is a threat anymore. So you can go to all these nice cocktail parties and talk and be like, oh, yes, how was your week? Oh, yes, well, actually, we went walking across. The- oh, yes, isn't that really nice? These canapes are delicious. I don't know where I'm going with this, but that's kind of where um, it, it means. But whereas mm-hmm. the anxious person at this part at the party looking for recovery, they might think, oh, my God, what if I freak out? Where's the exit? What if I'm not near an exit? What if uh, I have a panic attack? What if alcohol makes me lose control? What if I lose control anyway? What if people can see me blushing? What if people can see me sweating? What if people can do that? That ain't recovery because you're already pandering to the anxiety. But like you said, you know, emotions aren't the metrics of for our recovery. If you're there and you're anxious and you're, and you're continuing anyway, then you are recovering. Bang on. And most people don't see that. They see the shame and the embarrassment around not feeling what is conventional or heteronormative in that situation you know and it's Mm -hmm. actually no if you want to overcome anxiety go be anxious that is recovery i've done that hundreds of times when i was anxious went Mm -hmm. to parties house parties family events walking around chatting to strangers in a shop you know Mm -hmm. just to practice with it despite my anxiety saying run run something bad's gonna happen move avoid avoid i'm like nah nah mate i'm gonna carry on Yeah. And just you saying that perfectly ties into what I wanted to mention as well, which is my tool for recovery that may or may not work for everybody. But if you're the type of person who you notice that you have a, like a very steady inner monologue, like I totally, because I, I really love journaling. Like I do a lot of journaling and I, I, I just have like a very consistent inner monologue, which I know isn't for everybody. Some people see more in like they imagine in images and shapes or like, different different ways and not everybody has a steady inner monologue but if you're the type of person who has a very steady inner monologue a tool that really helped me both through depression and anxiety is you start to when you push yourself into these situations and you think about those those three pillars that you just pointed out the feelings the thoughts and the physical sensations in particular the thoughts when you start to observe while you're in these situations that you know, when I go into a social situation, I start to have those thoughts of, is that person laughing at me? Is that person looking at me? What do they think of me? Oh, am I, do I look weird right now? Is my posture bad? Maybe, maybe I should just like avoid everybody and go to the bathroom. Like you start to notice that you have these thoughts or, um, and I think this is a good time to also link this to like when 
it's hard to visualize that hope when you have depression because of depression, it's like, this isn't even worth it. And you just start to have all these like dark thoughts of like, why even bother sort of pushing yourself through recovery? Like, you know, this, this isn't making any progress. So you start to have these really negative thoughts. What's really helped for me is when I'm the person, uh, creating that inner monologue, you kind of play this game in your head where you morph that inner voice into an anxious voice or a depressed voice or whatever mm. negative voice you think is there. And I've gone through like workshops and read books where it's like, if you add something to that voice to distinguish it from your own voice, like, is that the voice of your nagging aunt? Is that the voice of, you know, your <laughs> cynical old teacher? Um, I started to develop this voice for like, when, when depression was coming back, it was like, this French voice who like did not care about anything. I, I could not stand it. And it made it so ridiculous that I was able to delineate that voice from what I believe is me. And then you can actually turn around to that voice and go like, excuse me, I'm trying to have a nice time here. Can you just leave right now? Cause I'm oh, really so you're like observe, but you're observing the voice, aren't you? When you change yeah. the voice, you you're observe no it, you, you separate. Yeah. yeah that it's sounds no great. Longer you and your true inner monologue it's no longer ella is having these thoughts about how uh insecure she is at a party it's like my anxious aunt who is worried about appearances and worried about what people will think of everything and i can just turn around mm -hmm. to it and go like you know you're not really helping me at all right now and it does genuinely feel like you're turning over your shoulder and saying like could you just like back off a little bit that's excellent that yeah, acknowledging thing, that yeah Acknowledging it, that internal dialogue. But at the same time, acknowledging that it's your friend when when it's needed. Because if you're if you are actually in danger, that voice is helpful. You know. What if walking through what if walking through that park at night you get mugged? Mm. Oh yeah. Well actually maybe I shouldn't walk through that park at night. Yeah, mm -hmm. actually that was a good suggestion. Thank you. You know? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what recovery looks like in, in the sense when I was talking about people measure think recovery looks like when you don't have anxiety at all. Like, no, if you if you're walking past a dark park or you see like some feral animal coming towards you. You're going to get anxious. That anxiety gets you to avoid fight or flight, and it's really mm -hmm. helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, that's still recovery. That's what sane, rational people do. You know, you don't want to, but you don't want to be in a place where, yeah, I don't, I don't feel anxiety anymore. You know, I'm going to go over to that feral, um, dog, rabid dog foaming at the mouth because you know what? Anxiety doesn't bother me because then that's really dangerous, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you're not going to skip through the park at night with those shady people knocking around, you know, while you get, get your new iPhone and your AirPods out and start skipping. You know, you just, you, you're not going to do that. So recovery looks like when excessive, when excessive anxiety rears its head, can I continue? Do I have the confidence enough to not engage with it and continue in an endeavor doing what I was going to do anyway? Or I also wanted to touch on. I'm kind of talking about disordered anxiety, but 
anxiety that's as a result of something external from you, like conventional anxiety. Mm-hmm. Recovery from that is a bit more simple. It's when you don't worry about it as much anymore. So mm-hmm. if I, I've been to counseling many a time, many a time, a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and I've gone with just conventional worries, you know, uh, where anxiety has occurred because I am worried about something in my life external. You know, mm-hmm. I'm worried about maybe the ill health of someone. I'm worried about maybe about my career or I'm worried about finances or something like that. And mm-hmm. go into therapy or go into someone who you trust, who listens, who doesn't make stuff about them. You know, someone who can, someone you can have a therapeutic conversation with. Um, recovery looks like when you kind of get it off your chest and feel good. You know, mm-hmm. being heard is really therapeutic and that can be a huge part of recovery. Also being brave enough and to, to share that with someone. And I reiterate, I have been to uh, through a lot of therapy and, you know, recovery looks kind of looks like me being willing to share stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because maybe I have external anxieties alongside my disordered anxiety. And I think that ties in well with the episode that we did not so long ago about anxiety versus anxiety disorders. Um, mm-hmm. Recovery for conventional anxieties when you're no longer or worrying less about the external worry. Um, or to a point where it's manageable, recovery for anxiety disorders is when you have the confidence to do what you would do anyway and not engage with those three branches of the anxious response, the feelings, the thoughts, and the sensations. Um, I'm quite happy with that description. We'll probably, yeah. I'll probably, yeah, I've probably missed something fundamental out, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's the first I've heard of those, those three pillars. And I really like that because, um, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is delineating. And as you were talking about that, like, of course, if a family member passes away could, and you're you with the big words, delineating, delineation. I, I, I said anthropomorphizing, <laughs> delineate, top quality, some... premium qu- content. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should have some like word of the day definitions at the bottom of this because we're just so smart. <laughs> Um, no, but I was just going to say that, like, dog. yeah, it helps you <laughs> when you are able to separate, like, chronic anxiety from just a bad thing happens to you. And this is where mm. we, like, talking about loneliness comes back into it. Um, that I think lockdown has all made us appreciate, like, we're very social people, like, we're social creatures and we need to have conversations with people to that is one of those things that helps us separate is this chronic anxiety that's rearing up for something uh to use probably not the right term but like irrational is this coming up for something that that other people aren't struggling with this that is just like that i want to move past this and i don't want to have this reaction every time or you can't get mad at yourself when you have something like a death in the family or a really traumatic event and your anxiety comes back and like these behaviors come back. Like, like that's when self-compassion is such a huge part of just like this. Of course, these behaviors have come back because something really, really mm. bad has happened to you. So like, I think part of recovery is also like, I, I or not just part of it, a massive, huge aspect of recovery is knowing what your self-compassion feels like and looks like. And that, like you say that being willing to Absolutely. open up about your anxiety and go to a therapist is having kind of your your inner therapist and your own 
that you can generate that more. And that's a huge like form of strength, not just, uh, oh, I'm, I've become a more soft and vulnerable person. Like, no, that, that's a real strength is when you know how to, um, uh, moderate your emotions and, and help yourself in that way. I think, do you remember when I just said to you, I've probably missed out something fundamental. Um, you've just included it. Thank you. You're, you're you're the best co-host ever. It was the first thing that I wrote on my notes sheet before we started this. And then it took me all the way until now to go like, Oh yeah. Yeah, that's definitely it. All of what we're talking it's, about. It's, it's arguably the most important one as well. I'm there banging on, pontificating about theory and, and exposure and blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, but you, ca- you can't do any of that without a foundation of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And that's the first one. You've got to be okay. And I think that'll, I think that'll tie in nicely to our next episode, to be honest. Uh, obviously we've done one on self-compassion, but mm-hmm. I think it'd be nice to kind of discuss the ongoings of an internal dialogue whilst, whilst recovering. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to start yeah. keeping a sheet next to me of like what episode was self-compassion. We'll include the stuff in the show notes, but I need to start keeping like referring back to episodes. Like we're really starting to build up the content that I need to start like being able to episode by episode list things back. But, but yeah, uh, we do, we have done an episode on self-compassion and, and I'm excited to hear what you have going forward, what you want to do next. Well, yeah, I, well, I just think about the internal dialogue in recovery. I mean, recovery, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, the, the willingness to, you know, to, to be with anxiety whilst you're not avoiding. Mm-hmm. Recovery is, well, final recovery, the end stage recovery is when you're not even thinking about anxiety. It's not even the center of your life anymore. Mm-hmm being on your way to recovery is willing to be uncomfortable with all those symptoms. I'm just reiterating because I know people listening will want this to kind of sink in. Um, That is recovery. That's what it always is. You know, this is why products, uh, miracle cures and fixes don't work. If I hear another person that tells me CBD is a cure for anxiety, Mm. I'm going to launch them into space because (laughs) while CBD might have wonderful properties and you um in terms of it being anti-inflammatory etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. i mean they're doing well, research one on it. of those three pillars like you just listed is maybe just helping with physical sensations but how is it helping with your feelings and thoughts right? oh absolutely you're on fire today fire, absolutely oh yeah it's only helping one of those things you know mm-hmm. cbd is not going to give you self-compassion cbd is not going to turn off mm-hmm. your anxious response when you're in the Preach middle of a panic attack. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and whilst I think it's, you know, if you're going to take it as a supplement, take it as a supplement. If you take it as a miracle cure or a fix, mm-hmm. then you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. In my honest, always correct opinion. <laughs> um, but, but it's just recovery is I can deal with this. Mm-hmm. I am willing to tolerate this discomfort because I have the confidence to know this is just anxiety. And I have got the confidence to guide my attention away from how I feel as much as I can. Because the more I do this and the more I practice it, the less my amygdala gets involved, the more I convince my amygdala that it isn't dangerous to be here. And finally, my amygdala will switch off regardless. Mm -hmm. Also, on the other side, if you're anxious uh, about stuff that's external from you, so you're not... uh, struggling with disordered anxiety 
that's something that, you know, reflect on, talk with, talk with a counselor, talk with a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still in therapy now. I, I, you know, for various things, uh, because one, because of the nature of my job, I think it's always healthy to be in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, but two, because yeah, you know, no one's the finished article. Mm -hmm. And I, I go to therapy a lot for my external anxieties. Mm-hmm. You know, like actually what's what what's happening externally from me. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important because that's part of recovery as well. Recovery is, and I'll reiterate, recovery is not being ang- com- anxiety, completely eradicating anxiety. Um, you're on fire, so I'm going to try and I'll give you a quick question before we kind of con- bring us to a conclusion. But I said at the start of this episode, let's see if you can remember it. Uh, Ella, how is progress with anxiety measured? Well, according to me, I'm not, I'm not saying it's scripture. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, well, how's progress measured? There were two different definitions of this because I, I <laughs> threw mine into the mix. But um, the one that I really like that you said is um, progress and anxiety is measured when you feel those emotions and uh you are able to do things in life with your anxiety i think that it's like you can't mark the progress based off of when you felt anxious but you have to mark the progress on what you've done going towards those sensations of fear and anxiety and moving past them with that and can I also just add a little, um, like a little activity or a little piece of homework if people really resonate with this episode? Um, I kind of want to throw something in if that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. that, um, when we talk about the visualizing and like this whole episode, I started with saying like, you have to have some kind of hope of what that looks like. I think going along with that definition of, um, doing things in spite of your anxiety or doing things, even though you feel anxious, um, really the question here is, if you're someone who's experiencing chronic anxiety is what would you do if anxiety did disappear? That, that sensation of like, oh, if that's what you want, it's just for anxiety to complete disappear. What would your life look like if that were true? And the very harsh reality that people with anxiety have to face is that that isn't how it works. It doesn't go away. It doesn't just disappear. But what does work is you can walk baby step by baby step towards that progress. And along that point, the self-compassion and the self-gratitude that you have are the points when you've taken another baby step towards it. So defining areas of your life that anxiety comes up the most, if you know that agoraphobia is an aspect of that, what things along Mm. the ladder can you do that are going to make you you feel proud of yourself it doesn't matter about anybody else or anybody's other you know quote-unquote normalcies because mm. no one's normal everybody's got their own idiosyncrasies and their own things that make them anxious so forget any notion mm. of normal what for you is an achievement and after you've visualized what that life looks like without it the thing that we all have to face every single person who goes through recovery this is there's no there's no quick fix and there's no person who's defeated this because mm. there's no one day that your anxiety is just completely gone. It's doing things in spite of your anxiety and walking towards that that let it slowly melt away and slowly disappear. 
And so mm-hmm. having hope, visualizing something, and then making baby steps of progress to walk towards it are uh, absolutely great. why you, you knocked it out of the park. Um, lovely. I'm using a baseball analogy. I've never seen baseball in my life. Um, <laughs> some, yeah, sometimes when life throws you a curveball, you just don't know enough about baseball to complete the analogy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also, just as you were speaking then, uh, and, and anxiety isn't there. It's like, I'm, I'm, there's always this thing about illness. I don't, <laughs> I see disordered anxiety as a message to you to say, hey, you're fine, but maybe we need to work on our tolerance of these symptoms because you're mm-hmm. okay. You know, mm-hmm. let's work on that. It's a sign to work on willful tolerance. Um, but yeah, we, we, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll do another episode on recovery later on. Um, after we've learned lots more and done more episodes and, and, um, and and I'm I'm forever learning as well. I'm currently studying a lot of metacognitive therapy at the moment, which is really interesting. And I'll share that uh, at some point as well. But uh, yeah, I think we'll leave that there. That was really really great. Um, and thank you once again for being a fantastic co-host. Ah, oh, thanks, Josh. I no. will uh, finish this off with a home run of thanking you <laughs> for your time. <laughs> I don't know anything about baseball too. Well, that analogy was a swing and a miss. Um, <laughs> oh, God, let's just leave this. See you later. See you next time. God. See you, Josh. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.